Hello and welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua and today's episode will be part two of the Vin Armani Dim Age interview that we did a few weeks ago. I will pretty much just pick up where we left off in part one and then we'll do some elaboration on that in the following episode or two depending on how that goes. So to give a reminder of where we did leave off, Vin and I had just gotten into talking about the Church of Woke and wokeism and what that is, and the last comment was by myself, and I was talking about how there is this void that has occurred and that society is realizing they don't have this sense of meaning and higher purpose and set morality, these types of things, and that's led to various extremes and various problems within our society society. And so Vin's going to pick up on that and get more into this idea of wokeism and the Church of Woke. So take it away, Vin. Indeed. And I think that one of the big blind spots is that people don't realize that wokeism is a mystical uh, practice. D- absolutely. And I mean, I think that if you look at especially the idea that um, if you, it's, it's so immaterial, like, let's just even look at gender, you know, the statement that your biological, your body does not determine whether you are a man or a woman. You cannot, there are very few things that would be more purely, um, immaterial, a more purely a recognition of your immaterial self than that idea considering the fact that like that when we're talking about physical distinctions between human beings man or woman is like and this is why people have such a problem on the other side is that people say no 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 that's objective like this person has a penis that is a man this person has a vagina this is a woman like, this is a female, this is a male. This is, we can't, and, and but for a group to say, no, 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 it's not determined by that. It's not determined by that. It's determined by how you identify completely outside of your material being. Oh, well, this is a mystical practice. This is a mystical practice. And then the practice of, well, I am going to change my physical body to reflect, so I'm going to change the material to reflect what I have received in the immaterial space, you see which is primary. And when you start to see, you know, wokeism as what it truly is, one of the most powerful religions that human beings have ever experienced or have ever been exposed to, then you really start to see what you're up against. And the world becomes, and what we're experiencing now takes on a totally different tenor. And especially the idea that, you know, imagine that that this wasn't wokeism. Imagine that it was Islam. And imagine that there were entire groups of people that were going along with Sharia law that had no idea that this was the law that was give, that there is a whole set of laws in the Quran and this is what Muslims are supposed to be doing but they just did it because they thought it was right well th- then there they are Muslims if they're living by whether they're praying five times a day or whatever they're I mean that would just be the next step 
But from a standpoint of how does it affect society, you're living in a society full of Muslims. And so it's important to see that, like, yes, there are a few people who are priests of woke and understand what's going on, but part of the strength of the woke religion, right? So Judaism had a strength that came from out of, uh, you know, the Aten religion that was the first monotheism and then came out of Egypt, you know, as it escaped with Moses. And then they added some things that made it more powerful, and, but it was still a tribal religion. And then Christianity came along and they expanded it to where you didn't have to be a member of this tr- particular tribe. It was basically Judaism for everybody and they expanded the notion of the Godhead in a very interesting way. And then Muhammad came along and he basically took the ideas of, uh, you know, expanded upon Christianity and Judaism to, to dealing with the same sort of Godhead and said, nah, but here are some actual physical laws that we can play out. And Church of Woke has come along and they've got this, the most powerful tool yet. And the tool is don't tell anybody that God is involved, that there is a God involved. Don't tell anybody. You can do all of that without it. And you can just get people to do it. And then you get what you want anyway. And that's what we're experiencing. People have to understand that we are mo- that the U.S. now is officially a theocracy. People just haven't caught up with that idea. That happened last, last two weeks. The U.S. is a theocracy. And they're going to really see it, uh, you know, Come the end of January, people are really going to see it, but they're going to have high levels of cognitive dissonance for a long time. And unfortunately, the people with the highest levels of cognitive dissonance who are like, you know, I'm a patriot and you can't do this in America. Those are the people that are going to suffer the most because they're just sticking their head above water and it'll be chopped right off. Yeah, it's like the the quote of the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to prove to the world that he didn't exist. And yes, if you don't believe that's a religion, then I don't know. I guess you can see all the different signs that someone is a heretic if they go against, you know, basically all these modern thoughts and concepts. If you go against something like uh, gender issues and gender fluidity, then you are immediately condemned and you're a heretic and there, Mm -hmm. there is a social outcast factor that comes upon you. And yeah, all this stuff is very religious, but you're right. I don't think people can see that. And you you mentioned how it's one of the most powerful religions. The one aspect of that that's really standing out to me is one tool that exists now that has never existed at the founding and height of any religion is the digital world. And yeah, so when you're talking about this idea of a mystical age and moving into more mystical things, things that are more spiritual, things that are more magic oriented, mm-hmm. that seems to me by definition to be what the digital world is. It's not the physical, it's not the material, mm-hmm. it's it's digital. You create it, it is what you make of it, you can mold it, you can shape it, it's in your own image, but in your ideational image, not in your material image. And this is a tool of the Church of Woke Now, and we're seeing that with the mass censorship of all heretics that go against the church. And that's what's going on now. You even see the changing of the meaning of words. And uh, I guess you go all the way back to like liberalism, and you now you have to say classical liberalism if you want to say what liberalism actually means, because that definition has changed over time. 
Just like gender, I guess, probably is changing or has changed. That word means something different. And it's not that it materially means something different. It's that it was perceived as meaning something different. It was then portrayed as meaning something different. And now perception has become reality. And it's kind of a magic trick. And I guess that kind of leads me into, you've talked a lot about magic and language and words and this religion with uh, the internet and the digital age that we are living in. Uh, Do you have any comments on how all those things relate together? Oh, yes. So, (laughs) so, uh, you know, technology, the communications technology is, if we look at advances paradigm shifts in communication technology you will also see a new new religious movements or new religions emerge always along with new communications technology and and they will mirror so their let's say their sticking power will be related to the the tool and the new utility and capability that 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 technology presents so um you know we could we could go all the way back to the idea of the fact that we had priests of a uh, literate egyptian society forming uh judaism and you know the their thing is a book that's the big technology scrolls so we can all, as a tribe, get on the same page for ages and ages and ages and record our history and all be in consensus in that regard. But I think if we step forward, maybe the most important, because it's something that we can actually study for, for reasons that will be obvious to anybody who thinks about it, is, is the Reformation and the technology of the printing press. So the the... Certainly Luther, there's a fantastic book called, I, I've, I've, I love any biography of Martin Luther. They're all great. But my favorite has become this book called Brand Luther. And it's basically an exploration of how Martin Luther is responsible for the book publishing industry. And that he was the first best-selling author. That it's basically, there were, for 150 years, there had been printing presses sitting around. But it was the printing of his uh, pamphlets, the printing, not even so much his, his Bible translations. It was really about his pamphlets and about the transcripts of debates that were taking place and the sort of debating back and forth. Uh, in the, America is a, is, is a religion, and part of the American rev, uh, religion as we go back was about uh, pamphleteering, periodicals, newspapers. Um, printing in that regard, periodical printing. And you notice that that is such a big part of the American experience, right? The the journalistic, you know, journalism. This is an American thing, truly. The ideals of what is journalism and, and the idea of why would you even put freedom of the press? It's the printing press. And it's specific for pamphleteering and whatnot. And so we can go back and see you know, the Federalist Papers, the Anti-Federalist Papers, and all of this, that America's religion, just like Luther's religion, was shaped as much by the technology as it was by any sort of spiritual or, or moral underpinning. That it is because the technology for communication moved in a certain way 
that everything was constructed in that way. And so when you have Church of Woke, and we see it, that it is on these digital communications platforms, and that the these are abstractions, right? So communication is part of the mystical realm. That's what we said to start, right? Language. Yeah. Language is what the mystical realm is made of. Terrence McKenna says that that uh, the universe is actually made of language. That's what he says. As far as I can tell, the universe is actually constructed of language. This is also the the ideas behind Jordan Peterson's philosoph- philosophical system, right? Maps of meaning. He says you don't see an object. You see the meaning of the object way before you see anything material about the object. And I think that's true. Like, I think that we can actually, anybody who's honest and takes an observation says, okay, that's actually true. I see the meaning here first. Uh, The same way that, like, you get a glimpse of somebody familiar and you feel something. Before you recognize who they are, you feel, huh, what is that? And then you think, oh, that person's familiar or whatever. Right? But you feel something first, some, some recognition, and that is the meaning. And so... We have now a digital communications network that is about as mystical as it could possibly get. I mean, the fact that you and I are halfway around the world having a live conversation with one another, this is magic. Let's be real. I mean, if we go and we're looking at Lord of the Rings or whatever, this is, this is above what they're doing in there, in the fantasy novels. We are participating in it. And yet, neither one of us knows how this works. We really don't. And I'm a software developer. And I can't tell you. And, I, and, I, and I've done streaming media for years. I could set something up where we could have duplex communication. But could I really, at the core of it, break down every single piece? Of course not. Of course not. I couldn't. Nobody can. And so, that is us operating in the mystical already. And the Church of Woke has these mystical tools. They utilize these mystical tools. And certainly there is not another religion that came about in a time of those tools. And so therefore, the other religions just cannot compete, much in the same way that the Catholic Church, in trying to put down Luther, tried to compete with printings and encyclicals and using the printing press. But Luther's religion was built with that technology. There was no way that they were going to beat him. And so that that is where we are at now, and that is the relationship between communications technology and, and religion, that when you have a paradigm shift in communications technology, you must expect a paradigm shift in religion. That makes sense. Yeah, so... Are you familiar by any chance with the Foundation novels by Isaac Asimov? I I am familiar, yes. Okay, so in the beginning of that whole universe he lays out, one of his main themes, at least if you start with the Foundation books and not the previous ones, but one of the main things is that the, the Empire at that time, the Galactic Empire, has grown to such a level of technological advancement that people do not understand the technology anymore Mm -hmm. and no one actually knows how things work. And so there's this uh, period of stagnation and the main character is seeing this and watching it play out and calling it out ahead of time and looking at these patterns in history, kind of like we're doing here. And Mm -hmm. it's a similar thing that what you're saying here is that 
people don't even understand the technology fully. And that, I would assume, always happens when you reach kind of the peaks of technological advancement. And that's what pushes you into this realm of magic, this realm of the mystical. And yeah, it's it's not necessarily very material because we don't know how the material works anymore. Mm -hmm. And so we necessarily have to live in the realm of magic because that's just what we're in. That's the whole atmosphere milieu of where we are. You, I, I mean, you nailed it. And to me, that is, you know, I discuss magic and I, and I use these terms and I find that people who, you know, we're all materialists by habit. But I find that when it's explained that way to people, it's very hard to deny that that's what's taking place. Because no one, anybody who's honest has to say, yeah, I don't understand. They look around and it's like, tell me, explain to me how that works. Like even your shirt. What is the material? Where did it come from? How was it weaved into that way? How, was, how did it get to you? Describe to me the logistics of the supply chain. What all of these things, and then you just go down everything and you're like, oh crap. That's true about literally everything around me. Oh crap. It may as well have just manifested out of the ether. Yeah. And when you when you start seeing that, then you're like, oh, oh, it's not that we're entering a new age of magic, it's that we're in an age of magic. And then you have to say, well, if I'm in an age of magic, the old rules don't apply. They can't. Because those are the rules that we discovered in an, a material age. So we have to say, okay, I'm in a new mystical age. All right, what's happening? And then we have to go back and say, what happened in previous mystical ages? One of the most important things, and this is something that I've been, been telling people, and this is an axiom. That is, I think, one of the most important things for that has predictive value that's the main difference between a material age and a mystical age. In a material age, the past determines the future. So the past determines the present, and then the future moves forward. And so in material ages, we have this very big um, desire for history and historical accuracy, right? To where we're like, oh no, we need to go back, let's find the records, archeology, span anthropology, right? The idea behind these things is we're going to go into the material world, we're gonna do carbon dating, we're gonna figure out ways to figure out how long ago was this, we're gonna look at the stars and, and all of this. And you gotta understand, we've been through these cycles before. I mean, if you wanna go back to like, astro where we know very accurate astronomical charts. You can go to Nob Playa in the Sudanese desert, 7500 BC. The stones are still there. We know that these are astro perfect astronomical uh, clocks that were charting the movement of the stars and the precession of the equinoxes, and particularly watching the heliolical rising of the star Sirius, which leads to the flooding of the Nile, which is right by there. So this is what they were charting this for their agricultural practices. This is 7,500 BC. That they are completely in a material space. Stone Age. This is the Neolithic Age. These stones are still there in the desert of Sudan. Wow. In the Nubian Desert. You can visit them. 
It's a historical site. And they know when they were there because they're able to chart the the positioning of the stars back. And they're like, holy crap, the people who build, built this were in 7500 BC. That's when the stars line up to these stones. So we've been through these cycles of the material. And what were they saying? The past determines the future. Meaning we're going to watch these cycles and how they move. And that's going to determine how this is going to proceed in the future. This is them watching the stars for that. Okay, that's in a material age. And once again, it's important. That's the Stone Age. That's 10,000 years ago, man. That, that we went through a material cycle. But we know that that moved into a mystical cycle because those same people became the, became the Egyptian priests. Okay? So we know that it moved into a, a mystical cycle from out of that. What determines a, what's different in a mystical, and we see this now, is that the future determines the past. So, as I've been telling people, what happens in the next week, months, whatever, is going to determine what happened during Donald Trump's presidency. What happens in the next weeks or months or whatever is going to determine whether or not the situation that happened at the Capitol recently was a protest or an insurrection. And it's, it's in that regard that we have to view religious texts and all of that very, very differently. Because they're operating in a different arrow of time where the future is going to determine the validity of, of what is said in this book. So is this book still here 5,000 years from now? Then what was said in this book is true. That's how it works. That's a different arrow of time than, oh, it couldn't have been that. They got the date wrong here and this and that. That's a material view. And it's not helpful and it's not what those things are made for. And if you'll notice, it's what the Church of Woke is, that they're very good at that. They're very good at that. Because what do they do? They, they, they develop a narrative that's now, and then they go back into the past and say, oh, this person was evil and wicked and all of that because their moral behavior is against our current mores that we have now. Not because of how they were living themselves, not because of whether or not they were behaving morally in terms of their own time. No, they have to behave now. They have to live up to how, how woke we are now, otherwise their statue gets torn down. Well, that's the future determining the past. So it's very, very important for people to understand as that's, you're going to see that pattern as the difference between what we're used to in the material age and what we're moving into in the mystical. Yeah, that I guess I, I didn't take it to that extent, but it really sunk in for me maybe a few months ago when the movie star, I guess you could say, Ellen Page, who was in Juno mm -hmm. in the Umbrella Academy, I, I saw where Netflix had chosen, once she decided she wasn't a she anymore and she was changing her gender, and I, I really don't know the details, I haven't even looked into the story, but just seeing the headline and just seeing what was happening where Netflix was going into the credits for previous mm -hmm. shows that she has been in and changing her name to whatever her masculine name is now. And it, it's that exact same thing. It's the future that mm -hmm. is um, saying what is true about the past. 
and that yeah it's it's not material at all because it has nothing to do with the facts it has nothing to do with the way things actually happen and Correct. the the biggest parallel to me that i can think of would be the illusion of 1984 where you have the idea of the memory hole and mm-hmm. what is it the ministry of truth and yep. that's their whole job is to make sure that the past reflects the future and the present and uh, this is this brings me to something that I was wanting to ask you about. It hasn't really come up, but with all of this that's going on, with the shift to the mystical, we still have the issue of the state and the bureaucracy. You still have social governance on a national level as well as a global level. These things exist now. They will exist in the future. It's not like they're going to disappear, but like we have been talking about, it's not that the nation state is going to be the supreme power. You mentioned how the merchants behind the scenes have a lot more power. The corporations, we could say, just like the merchants of, say, the Medicis, like I mentioned earlier, had a lot of power. Um, What I personally see us getting into, and I would say we're probably already there, would be technocracy. It's this idea of the experts that are really in charge of things. It's not necessarily a political movement, but it's more focused on economics and sustainable use of resources and resource allocation and all of these types of things that, you know, really were discussed in the 20s and 30s, but you go all the way back to Plato to really, Mm -hmm. you know, give these same principles like all of these other things. It's not new. It's same old stories. But the, the way that I at least have been processing it in my mind is that the early stage technocracy it's more Machiavellian. It's more, uh, you mentioned how leaders give lip service to religion. Well, that's exactly what Machiavelli says to do, that mm-hmm. you have to come across as a religious person, but you cannot be a religious person in reality or you're going to get screwed. And mm-hmm. that's not how you gain power. And so it, many aspects like that. In 1984, we just mentioned there are you know a million different examples of how that's playing out now, as well as the uh, third illusion that comes to my mind would be the panopticon and specifically more Jeremy Bentham's uh, approach, the architecture of a panopticon building and how that works and that being more segmented versus Foucault, Mm -hmm. who brings that out into uh, society writ large and how people impose that on themselves. That would be a further iteration. But the original panopticon mixed with this 1984 mentality and bureaucracy mixed with the Machiavellian approach. And if you get into like the philosophy of Deleuze, he talks about the arborescent way that things play out versus the rhizomatic. And the arborescent is like a tree where you have Mm -hmm. a clear picture. You have a tree and you know what that tree is. And it has branches, it has leaves, it has roots. Each one has a specific purpose. There's a specific hierarchy. You can identify things for what they are. That is a branch that will produce shoots. Those will be leaves and they will help with photosynthesis to feed the tree. And it's very straightforward. It's very material in a way. And mm-hmm. I, I'm just now making that connection there. It is more of a material view of technocracy. And I would say that's where we are now and what we're phasing into, or maybe we already are in, or maybe we'll get there in the future. I'm not really sure again that how that overlap kind of where that line is, it's very blurred. But the next stage I would say of technocracy would be more like Plato's Republic, where you have complete control over the information and ideas that people are exposed to. You have a big focus on things like genetics and eugenics. 
mm-hmm. these types of things, a lot of control. You have the elites, the experts that are really ruling things. And it's not that they are doing it in political ways. It's that they're the philosopher kings. They know so much about so many different things. And you could relate that to today's technology where you can mm-hmm. be an expert in that way. And the Brave New World I- idea, you know, that comparison between 1984 and Brave New World is one that has been um, talked about many different times in many ways, but it's that idea of the social body and people being on board with this. And you have this, uh, especially in Brave New World, you have this equalization of everybody. Everybody is everybody else's. Everybody mm-hmm. enjoys their role. There is no one person that's better than another person, at least in their perspectives. And mm-hmm. that would really tie in with the idea of coming to an age of the commoner and that, that, that's the great equalizer where everybody is the peasant, everybody is the commoner, and not necessarily in a negative connotation, just that we are all equal, we are all global citizens, you know, going back to the Church of Woke, it's that mm-hmm. same idea. And same with uh, foundation is the illusion I used earlier. In the beginning, it was about seeing the fall of the empire because of the progress of technology, people not understanding that, moving into an age of mysticism. But in Foundation, one of the the key concepts is that what ends up happening is there ends up being a a group, a foundation that is founded on a planet and it's kind of isolated. And the whole point is that they are using both genetics and technology and information, and they are ruling and basically controlling how history plays out within what was the empire and all these different civilizations and planets and uh, fiefdoms and all these things. It's this small group of experts that are focused on eugenics and technology Mm -hmm. and information behind the scenes, really ruling things. And on the ground, everything is really playing out in this way where it's it ends up being this self-imposed panopticon like Foucault ends up bringing out and even more extreme than that, or the reality of where 1984 is going. Like in 1984, Newspeak is a new thing. They're developing it. Well, Mm -hmm. what happens when Newspeak actually is fully developed and implemented? That's where we are more now. We're getting into that. That's that second layer of technocracy. And it is more rhizomatic if you're looking at the Deleuzian perspective here where it's not just that it's a tree. It's it's this group of rhizomes under the surface of the ground and you never know when a shoot will pop up and where it will pop up and uh, one group of roots and rhizomes can merge with another group of rhizomes and then become one entity or they can separate and become their own separate entity and mm-hmm. it's it's not about being able to identify a thing for what it is which is a very material perspective but Deleuze talks about how things are identified by how they are used and how they relate to other things And Mm -hmm. that's a much more ideational perspective, more mystical perspective. And so I I see all this, like I've been working, uh, I've been working out all these things lately, the past year or so, really hardcore with this, these views of technocracy and how that fits in with these social cycle theories and all these different things. Um, What would be your view of the idea of technocracy within this framework of what we're talking about in this age of mysticism and the church of woke and these types of things. Okay. Yeah. Great question. Uh, tons there and some fantastic imagery to start with. Okay. So let's start with this tree imagery, right? So 
what we're talking about with the, what 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 was the term you didn't use the term arboreal what was the term that you used to describe the top part arborescent arborescent i love that That's comes fantastic. from deleuze it's not mine <laughs> i i i love that that is a beautiful term so arborescent and rhizomatic right yes. so basically we're talking about the branches of the tree and the roots of the tree that's what he's describing right so here we have a structure a single structure and we have two you might say mirror images of themselves so people might imagine you'll sometimes see often used as like a logo that you'll see that cross section it's either a logo or a symbol i'm trying to think of what was the most recent i think the most recent place i saw this was uh, Jonathan Pajot, if people are familiar with him, uh, probably through, he's one of these people that kind of attached to Jordan Peterson. Uh, he's an icon carver. His brother wrote a book and he actually uses the cross section of the whole tree uh, as the sort of image on the front of the book. And so what you have is, you know, you've got this long trunk and then on the top you have the branches going out in their pattern, which is this more... Uh, it's not super predictable, but it is it is predictable to a certain degree. Um, you know, it's got to go this amount of length, and there seems to be far more rules, and it's far more structured, although it is branchy. And then you have the roots underneath, right? These rhizomes that are going down. And those are just, they look very much more random. In both cases, they are creating the structure of the tree and gathering the nutrients and energy that the tree needs. So the tree needs both parts, right? It needs the branches and it needs the roots. If you cut the roots off, the branches will die. If you cut all the branches off, the roots will eventually die as well, right? If you can't get, if you can't get the photosynthesis happening or by the other stretch, if you, if you can't get the base going, you can't, and you can't get the nutrients that are coming from, from out of the ground and the water. So, I think the first thing to see is that they are the description there. And I, I think there's a reason why he used those two terms is that he's not describing two separate things. He's describing two struct structures or forms that are part of the whole and that support each other without touching each other, you could say. And so I think that it's important for people to remember that all of these patterns are always present. And whether or not one is ascendant or not, whether one is more obvious or not, depends on person, place, or thing, in, uh, person, place, or time. In other words, depends on your perception. So it's that classic, like the blind man touching the elephant. If you are, you know, touching the ground and looking down at the ground, and I say, "What is a tree?" You say, "It's the rhizome." If you are looking up through the, the the trunk of the branches, and I say, "What is the tree?" You say, "It's it is the foliage and the branches that are at the top." Both of these structures are there. Now the the question becomes, well, what is the tree? What is the tree? And the materialists and the mystics see what the tree is differently, because you see, the tree is a mystical thing. And the tree is a material thing. And so mystics see the state differently than, uh, or they, they, they see it differently and materialists see it differently. And, and one thing that, you know, I've just recently been introduced to that, that I find absolutely fascinating and people are talking about it more is, you know, this, uh, 
this notion of powers and principalities that we see in uh, the Bible. And what does this mean, powers and principalities? And the idea that the ancients saw both things as combined. So like you think about Athens, which is named after Athena, Pallas Athena, and the, the, the temple of Athena is the central thing in Athens. And, and in that way, Athena is the sovereign of the city, is the angel of the city, right? She is the sovereign. And so that is to say that the city and the structure, the governance structure of the city has a mystical component, right? So Athens also exists in the mystical realm where Athena is, and she is the sovereign. And then it has a material component. Obviously, you, you, you have whatever kind of assembly you have there. You have whatever kind of leader. You might have a king at different periods of time. And that these different city-states, they all have their own patron gods. And that when they're all together, that is sort of like the gods together in a mystical way. So Hellenistic Greece, it makes sense that when we're talking about, uh, you know, the Iliad and the gods are going to war as well, right? So in the Iliad, Homer presents this picture of the gods over the battlefield, also warring and sending their individual champions. And we get this mystical notion. And for us, coming from a material age, we look at this as some sort of fiction. But to the people reading it, they understood it in a very different way. That actually, yes, 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 these were the the self-organizing systems so twitter right jack dorsey's in charge of twitter but twitter is a corporation right so you can't see a corporation i mean it has a logo right and that may as well be like the statue of athena in her temple but that is not athena we understand that is not athena that statue doesn't get up it doesn't do things it's a statue Right? And we could look at the Twitter bird and say, oh, that's Twitter. But that bird didn't ban Donald Trump. And did Jack Dorsey really? I mean, not really. If he did make the call, which I'm sure he had to make the call, was he making the call as Jack Dorsey? Or was he making the call as the CEO of Twitter? And, and if we go back further, you know, like GE, General Electric, is a company, and it's still around. Now, General Electric was founded in the 1800s. Nobody that worked initially for General Electric is still alive. Nobody. And yet, here is General Electric as a company. It still exists. It's still running. How is this possible? It can't be something material. That doesn't make any sense. And this is also the idea of Athens, but it's also the idea of America. Nobody who founded America is still alive. Why did people keep going with this structure? And where does that structure live? It's not in the Constitution. That's just what we go back to, but from where does the authority for the Constitution derive? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they're endowed by their creator. A God. There is a God that is over, that is sovereign over the United States. That's, that's, that's the axiom from the beginning. There is a mystical being 
there is an, a non-corporeal being that is the true sovereign. And that whatever we do, isn't that what they're really mad at President Trump for? Isn't that what the justification has been? The temple of democracy, they said, has been sullied by these protesters coming in and breaking. The temple of democracy has been has been breached. Desecrated. The sanctified <laughs> temple. Desecrated. And you say, the temple of democracy. What the what is democracy? What is that? That's not something. And how can you have a temple to something that's not a god? Gods have temples. Like the temple of Athena. So democracy is a god. And now people have known this for a long time. I mean, democracy, the god that that failed, it's out there. People have realized this for a very long time. Mystics understand. And so, that's why I've used the term Church of Woke, as have others. Because it is the Church of Woke. And Woke is a name for a power and a principality, a self-organizing system that is taking over things. And that has small cults, like religious orders, that that are like the branches of a tree. Or that are like the roots of a tree, but the tree is woke. And it's not a material thing. Woke is not material. But when I say Church of Woke, you know what I'm talking about. And you also know how somebody who is a member of the Church of Woke thinks about any given thing. Woke is the tree. Who is the sovereign? Who is the God of Woke? And what is it that that God wants, you see? Because if we only view it in And when I say God, this is hard for the materialist man. We're materialist by nature. Just think of it as a self-organizing system. Think of it like a corporation. What does Twitter want? If I said that, you wouldn't get you wouldn't get all, oh, we do that all the time, right? Twitter is Twitter is just to the left. Big tech this, big pharma, big tech. What is that? What is that? Because we're acting as though that is a conscious being, right? Big tech wants to do things. Big pharma wants to do things. The military-industrial complex wants to do things. Well, saying big tech, we're talking about a god. To the mystics, to our ancient, to the ancients, they would have understood that as the angel of Canaan. Canaan is coming. The God of Canaan is coming to do war against the God of Israel. The God of Israel wants certain things, just like the God of big tech wants certain things. So now we have to ask, what does the God of woke want? And that's when you start actually looking around and seeing. Then you start to see that we're dealing with something that the ancients fought for a long time. And that these self-organizing systems live in the hearts and perhaps in the ether, and then they come to the hearts of human beings time and time and time again. This isn't the first time that this power or principality has been encountered. It's not the first time that this tree has been encountered. And it won't be the last. And then a lot of things start to make sense of the illusions of the eternal battles, right? And these things that are, that are described, and when you start to see, ah, 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 we're living in a non-corporeal world. We're living in a world of corporations. 
bodies that are not bodies. A corporation is a mystical body. It's a mystical being that can live longer than any of the human beings that created it and can do things, can affect the world, can have terrible implications or wonderful implications. And we know this, and even materialists say this, the corporation's this, the corporation's that. And so this is where we start to see, and it's important to understand that a church that recognizes that and was born in that time, and a sovereign God that operates to be able to control these other gods, corporations, they're gods. To the ancients, they're gods. They're self-organizing systems of conscious, of pure consciousness that then manifest themselves and do things in the world through interacting with human beings. I'm not saying anything crazy and religious. This is how reality actually works right now. I'm making a material description of reality that matches exactly with how the ancients understood their gods. Exactly. And this is what we have to come to realize, and we have to come to realize that there are the, we need to describe them like sovereign powers. So the Church of Woke, what is it? How does it have control? Because it has control over the other gods right now. It's, at the, it's a high god, a very high god. As high as, as high as we have seen because it's taken over globally. And every time you walk around and you see someone wearing a mask, you have to understand that they are giving tribute to the God of the Church of Woke. They are becoming part of the self-organizing system. They have decided to become a rhizome or a branch of the tree. And they get deeper and deeper and deeper. But even just they're on the, if they're wearing the mask, they're on the outskirts. And everything that comes next comes next. But you have to, we have to start to get to try to understand in the mystical, what is the tree? That's, that's our goal, to try to understand what it is and then what can stand in opposition to it. That's the goal. Well, I am going to have to cut the interview off here. This will be the end of part two. I hope you have really enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. I've really learned a lot from this, and it's kind of opened my eyes to a few new perspectives. Hopefully, it's doing something similar to yourself as well. And I want to also give a thank you to more people who have signed up to support the show financially. I greatly appreciate that. We've got, I'm not sure if I mentioned Woot before, but uh, Woot had signed up before Woot was Alex and Ashley. And since Woot has been Joseph and Jonathan and Jack, all the J's. And then I just saw as I was about to record this outro, I saw that Connor has recently signed up to support the show as well. So thank you guys very much. I really appreciate that. That's I use that money to pay for the hosting fees that I pay for for the podcast. I have used it to buy books. I have bought many, many books, especially lately. And a lot of that has to do with my research for these various subjects and such. For example, I bought The Fourth Turning and Kaczynski's book and a few other things like that that I've mentioned on the recent episodes. And then I've also paid for an Audible subscription via the support that I get from the patrons. And 
and I am able to listen to mini books in audio format as well, thanks to you guys. So thank you very much. I really do appreciate that. You do have a perk if you sign up at the basic level where you can request that I cover a certain topic or you can ask a question or anything along those lines. You can send in a request to me and I will cover that either on the show or do like a Q&A exclusive on Patreon or something like that. So if anybody is interested in that, feel free to reach out to me and let me know what that is. I have reached out to all of you and so far I've heard back from no one. So uh, my understanding at least based on previous patrons, uh, the first few that signed up, they mainly just wanted to support the show and they weren't really interested in extra things, so to say, and the perks. They mainly just wanted to lend support. And I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. But if you do want to pose something or make a request, then please do so. Also, as I've said before, don't feel bad if you're just signing up to get the whole Venar Money interview in its entirety because that is released on the Patreon page. If that's all you're here for and you leave next month, that is okay too. There's a little bit more bonus content on there as well. I've taken all the appearances and interviews I've done on other shows, at least almost all. I think there's still two that I need to upload, but most of them are on there. And so you can get that directly from the Patreon page. If you are not a patron, you can go to the website and I do have a separate page there that lists the different appearances I've made with, I think, a link to the various shows. If not, I at least have the names of the shows and the episode number and you can seek those out yourself if you are interested in that. I believe the only purely Patreon exclusive episode is one I did way back during season one a few years ago on the Rothschilds. And that kind of lays out their story and their influence and things related to them. One interesting thing, at least as far as I remember, again, it's been a while since I recorded that and I haven't gone back and listened to it since back then. But as far as I remember, I think near the end, I talked about how there was a conference of some of the world's wealthiest people. And I think it was Evelyn D. Rothschild was one of the key members that was organizing that and presenting that along with Christine Lagarde, I believe, who was... EU Central Bank and moved to the IMF or World Bank or something like that. And I've commented on that in previous episodes because after recording that, then there was that shift from one central bank basically to another and um, made some comments about that. But the point is that that conference was about inclusive capitalism. And that is what is going on today. If you've heard of stakeholder capitalism and as you hear about the Great Reset and uh, changing the economic system and how there are inequalities in that and doing things for the benefit of all of the stakeholders, not just the CEOs and the corporate executives. Well, that's what that conference was about. So I actually mentioned that in that Rothschild episode at the end. So keep an eye out for that. That does have some modern significance, as does many things. If you go back and listen to all of season one and the story of how these systems in our society evolved, the political system, the education system especially, and then also the economic system, a lot of these things are coming back up now. Uh, Obviously, I recorded all that stuff way before COVID-19 was a thing, uh, but 
a lot of these things are coming back up and a lot of the effects of those issues that I talked about a long time ago and that many of you are probably have already been exposed to in the past through your own research yourself. But a lot of these things are really coming to bear now with these shifts that are going on, this aspect of coming into the mystical age, into the dim age, these societal shifts, the corruption of one leading to the shift into another that's what's going on. And so if you go back for any new listeners who haven't gone back and listened to season one or season two, go back and do so. If you can't get all the way back to episode one on your podcast player, because some only go back so far, then go to the website and you can stream it directly from there or you can download the episodes and listen to it whenever you want. Uh, But that is definitely worthwhile because those things, that builds out the foundation for why we are here. And that is really plenty playing out now in front of our eyes, and it is definitely worth being educated and knowing about those things. I would also like to give a shout out and a thank you to Vin Armani. Thank you very much for being a part of this and making this series something that is possible for me to do. I think this has been very valuable to everyone who is listening and to me myself as well. And Vin has posted many very complimentary things on Twitter. So thank you very much for that. I really appreciate that and that extra communication that is definitely helpful. If you have any more as you listen to these other episodes, please feel free to reach out on various subjects. Now, as a preview of the following episode, and again, that will be an elaboration on some of the things that Vin and I discussed in this section of the interview, I'll talk a little bit about the origin of Judaism. We'll talk about how wokeism is a religion without a god and what that means. We'll talk about the shift from the material to the immaterial and relating that between the state and wokeism and about the spiritual void, more about that kind of thing. We'll get into a bit about technology and how that impacts the evolution of society. And I'll mention Habermas and Stiegler, uh, possibly Kaczynski, it would make sense. I actually just read Technopoly as well, and that's one where there is a lot of relevant information there, so I'll probably comment on that, uh, given these topics, that's probably very likely. And then possibly we'll get into the idea of Pharmacon coming from Stiegler and what that means, and maybe technocracy. That's that's where I am guessing, at least, that the elaboration episode will cut off and we'll get into the rest of that in the following episode. But somewhere around that time period, around the midpoint of this interview or section of the interview that you just listened to when I talked about the different technocratic possibilities and what those look like and some of those different illusions. I'll probably end the first elaboration with that or begin the second with that. So that's what you can look forward to. I hope you have really enjoyed this series as much as I have. Please stay tuned. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for all of your support. If you haven't done so, please do leave a rating and a review. That is extremely helpful, and I have very few of those out there. So I really appreciate that. And also, thank you very much for those of you that have emailed me and reached out. I really am encouraged by hearing from you, and I can get a better sense of what you are enjoying, what you would like to hear more of, these kinds of things when I get the feedback. So thank you very much for all of your support of all kinds. I'm out of here. Peace. This has been another episode of Our Foundations Podcast. Thank you for listening.
goodbye. Yeah, thank you. Goodbye.